This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're in Isaiah chapter 5, if you'll go there with me. Isaiah chapter 5. We're taking two weeks in this chapter because this chapter is known as the Song of Jehovah's Vineyard. And you'll remember from this chapter that the Lord talks about how He planted a vineyard and He did everything that was needed for that vineyard to thrive and produce good fruit. But when the fruit came, it was worthless fruit. It was wild fruit. And chapter 5 is really just a snapshot of the first half of the book of Isaiah. Because the Lord will identify this wild fruit, and then He'll identify the judgment that He's going to bring on Israel, as well as other nations. That's really the first half, and then the second half of the prophecy is where we start seeing those encouraging words, how God's going to redeem Israel, how He's going to do that through a lamb uh, without spot and blemish, but, but a lamb who's uh, uh, going to give His life. By His stripes, we're going to be healed, and, uh, and He will save uh, His wayward sheep. But we've been looking at the specific fruit, and so I want to just take you back through. As you look at the top, the introduction of the handout, the first blank there at the top reminds us of God's unparalleled favor to Israel, and that's found in verses 1 and 2, where the Lord says, what more could I have done? I favored Israel. I I met Israel's needs. Unparalleled favor. But when the Lord wanted to enjoy the fruit of the vineyard, he found there was wild fruit. Uh, And each one of the kinds of wild fruit that God's going to judge is identified then in the remainder of the chapter with that little word, woe. Woe to the vineyard for this kind of fruit. And we noticed in verse 8, that that, verses 8 to 10, that first wild fruit is materialism. Materialism. Again, very quickly, I'm just having you fill in blanks, and then we're going to, we've already gone over this, uh, but halfway through that paragraph, like many today, Israel wanted a large tract of land where they could enjoy abundance by themselves without thoughts of others. All right, so I, I just, I just want to have My stuff live in a beautiful country scene. Nobody bother me. But of course, we know that God's placed us here not only to bring glory to Him, but to meet the needs of our fellow man. Uh, But that wasn't Israel. There was just this, this narcissism, this being filled with themselves and pleasing themselves. And part of the judgment, as you look at the end of that paragraph, is that God would get his tithe. 
the imagery here is of this vine bringing forth bad grapes. But God says, you're going to plant in your fields. You're going to plant and, and reap from your vineyards. But because of my judgment, what you're able to glean is going to be very limited. God's not going to let it produce. And that's how God's going to respond and how he did respond to their materialism. Now, besides the wild fruit of materialism, there's a second woe, and that's in verses 11 and 12. Again, this is review, and it's the wild fruit of self-indulgence. Self-indulgence. Of course, there are references here to drinking and, and being drunk. But the idea is that, that they partied all day. I mean, every, if they worked to try to make money, it was just so they could turn right around and, and uh, indulge. Feed their passions. Feed their wants. And if you look at the, uh, that next blank there, the worst part of self-indulgence is, here's your, here's your word, the threat that it is to spiritual life for the saved and the lost. And I mentioned here, I referenced Mark 4, 19. Why? Because the Lord plants his seed. He's, he's like a sower that has gone out and he plants the seed. And that seed falls, he, he throws out the seed and it falls on different kinds of, of ground. But the Lord says that some of it falls on ground where it is, uh, it's choked out. Later the Lord will explain that it's because of the cares of this life. And when we think back to Israel, that's what they, that's what they were consumed with. So it was self-indulgence. And then thirdly, God would judge Israel, not only for materialism, self-indulgence. The third fruit, and we ended last time with this, the wild fruit that God's vineyard was producing was the fruit of self-deception. Self-deception. So verse 18, woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as it were with a cart rope that say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it. Speaking of, let God do what he says he's going to do, that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come, that we may know it. Self-deception. Would you agree with me it's pretty foolish to challenge the Almighty? Okay, yeah, you said it, but we'll see. Wow. Wow. But that's what was happening. So look at that first paragraph. The imagery here is of a cart overflowing so that it can't be pulled or a man with such a burden on his back that he can't move forward. Israel was under that crushing weight, but they didn't see it. Israel's response was essentially in verse 19, if what I am doing is so bad, why doesn't God do anything, say anything about it? If he doesn't like it, let him show me. Show me. And in the next paragraph in the application, God did show them. And that blank, just write the number 150. 150 years after Isaiah prophesied this, God showed them. Nebuchadnezzar sacked Jerusalem. All right, 
So Jerusalem was sacked. Isaiah had prophesied. God kept his word. Now that can be positive and negative. And I, I just want to stop and, and for a moment remind us tonight, in light of everything that's happening nationally, we're fearful because we know God keeps his word. Does God just excuse sin? No. And to think that, like many of our fellow countrymen do, we're self-deceived. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. reap. So to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But you know what? There's another side. There are all kinds of promises that should be encouraging us tonight. With all the violence and, and the instability that has happened in the history of civilization, yes or no, Christ has continued to build his church. Yes. yes. And by the way, when he, when he says that, he also gives this promise, and the gates of where won't prevail against it. Hell. It's not we're hunkered down and we're going to be okay. No, no. It's the gates of hell that we're charging and they won't stand when the church of Jesus Christ is doing his work through his power. All right. But we need to realize people are self-deceived. I look at the electoral map tonight and I shake my head. How in the world? Well, there's a simple answer, and it's called spiritual blindness, and we know who's doing it. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. So self-deception. God was going to deal with that. Let's go on now tonight to the fourth wild fruit. Right, verse 20 brings us to the second half of these wild grapes listed in God's worthless vineyard. And here's that fourth fruit, the wild fruit of amorality. Okay? No morality. Look at verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Literally, these are people who say concerning evil, it's good. And who say concerning good, well, that's bad, that's evil. The ancient Greeks would refer to this kind of person as adakamas. And here's your blank. It's, you'll recognize this word. It's the word reprobate. That's the translation. Reprobate. So look at the, look at the verse there, Romans 1.28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. What's that mean? Not fitting. Things that don't pass the test. Doing things that are not beneficial, are not helpful, but you do it because you can't discern between what's good and evil. So once again, we, we just pause tonight. What is the world defining as evil and what are they defining as good? 
Well, we've gotten to the point where when you and I stand for what God says is good, they call that evil. You, you bunch of haters, yeah? Well, no, we've spoken out against sin because if you do that sin, it's going to hurt you. When sin conceives, it brings forth, or when lust conceives, it brings forth sin. When sin is finished, it brings forth death. death. We're trying to prevent the death. But, okay. And, and those of us who are in law enforcement, okay, Oregon just passed legislation now. They just voted uh, illicit drugs that destroy lives, make you addicts. They just legalized it. Okay. I mean, we're talking about the hard stuff. It's legal. Well, we're just compassionate. We just want, you know, people ought to be free. Not, not that way. Not that way. Okay. But see, that evil is now good, and those of us that dare to speak out against, well, that's bad. You're intolerant. No, the scripture says that if a man is heading to destruction and you lift your voice to warn him, no, that's love. But we've lost sight of that. Amorality, not being able to tell the difference between the two. This sin is undoubtedly offensive to God because of the arrogance associated with it. God says something is good and the Jews in Isaiah's day said, that's bad. Without any sense of moral judgment, they then go on to practice every imaginable perversion that God condemns. And our nation, right, like Israel, knows the indictment of Romans 1, 32. Let me just quote it for you. And they, knowing the judgment of God, that they that do such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but they have cable TV. No, I, okay, no. <laughs> but they take pleasure in them that do them. Well, yeah, cable TV, and, okay. Now, it's not all bad. But, but what is it? It's just, say, why do they have all that stuff? Because people like it. All right. Ah, morality. And for those of us who are moral, who understand that God has laid out specific guidelines, instructions, He has declared what is righteous, what is not righteous. Those of us who dare to speak forth about His standard, well, we're living in a time where people are, are going to reject that. Amor. All right, here's the fifth fruit. It's the wild fruit. This is what Isaiah, the Lord through Isaiah, will speak to Israel about. The, the fruit of arrogant humanism. Arrogant humanism. Okay. Now let's look at the text for that. As you go on, verse 21, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. What does that mean? Well, when they reject God's standard for morality, in reality, a man is making himself, a woman is making herself the standard 
and therefore making themselves God. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at our, our nation's history and what's happened in the education system in this country. Remember, we talked about humanism. The Humanist Manifesto comes right out and says it. Man is God. Well, Israel was functioning the very same way. Wise in their own eyes. Prudent in their own sight. Look, I think this is right. Don't tell me otherwise. This is an older illustration, but it goes back to 2009. CNN, that great bastion of conservative truth, ran a piece, America Becoming Less Christian Survey Finds. In an interview with Lou Dobbs, and some of you will remember that name, uh, the president of Catholic League, William Donahue, said he thinks, quote, a radical shift towards individualism over the last quarter century has a lot to do with it. Then he said this, the three most dreaded words are, thou shalt not. Or, or these words, thus saith the Lord. Okay, but, but here, thou shalt not notice, and he goes on to say, notice that they are not atheists. They are saying, I don't want to be told what to do with my life. All right, so arrogant humanism. I'm in control, I'm in control, I am God. Christians must also be careful with this same matter. The world is doing it. But sometimes Christians have that arrogant attitude. When we're tempted to sin, the flesh will present strong arguments to obey the flesh over Christ or choose to ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit altogether. So he warns, he convicts, and we just push on. Well, what is that? Making ourselves God. Pastor Coles, when several years ago when he preached through the Ten Commandments. He, I think he pointed this out, if I remember correctly. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, Exodus 20. Do you know that you can take God and you can form him into who you want him to be in your mind and serve that God? You can call him the names of the God of the Bible, but he's not the God of the Bible, he's your God. And really, in essence, when you create your own God, you have made yourself God. Arrogant humanism. When Christians play God, they cannot be salt and light and their professions become empty creeds. Here's the last fruit in the text. And, and again, we can all understand now why these are the things where God looks down. This, he had done so much for this vineyard. This is what he's tasting. This is what he's experiencing. And you're getting a taste of why Isaiah is so negative the first half. God has to deal with this sin. And by the way, if God dealt with it with his people Israel, you think any of the Gentile nations are going to get off? No, no. So here's the last wild fruit. It's in verses 22 and 23, again defined by a woe. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward 
and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Okay? Therefore is the fire devoureth the stubble, the flame consumeth the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness, and their bosom shall go up as the dust. God is going to judge. Now this fruit is, number uh, six here, the wild fruit of forsaken justice. Forsaken justice. What does it mean, mighty to drink wine? Well, it means that those who are exalted in the land are those who excel in heavy drinking and debauchery. Okay? Those who excel in the land would be your rich and famous. Uh, The blank there in your notes is these are the heroes of the people. These are the celebrities. Do we worship and follow celebrities in this country? Wow. Yeah. It is amazing to me. And there are conservative news sources, but there's there's one, and it's called Fox, and it drives me crazy. Okay. I just made some of you mad. That's okay. But but in, in... In these interviews, they'll interview these rich and famous people so that we know what they think about things. And and I'll just be honest with you, I don't care. They don't have anything to offer, but they're being interviewed because they're well-known, they're popular, they have money, or they can throw a football, Amen? amen? And that's, this is important news. No, it's not. No, it's not. Okay, but that's, that's who's being referenced here. In Israel, you had the rich and the famous, mighty to drink wine. They're, they're, they're famous in the land. I think without doing any damage to the scripture here, we could put in here politicians, actors, sports figures, other rich and famous who are elevated for this kind of a lifestyle. It's what's served up on reality TV, and, and the American public devours it. And yet, where do they stand when it comes to real justice? They don't get it. What happens to justice when the lawmakers and judges are those described in verse 22? In Isaiah's day, verse 23, what does that talk about? It's talking about a bribe or a payoff so that the wicked can get off while the rights of righteous men are taken away. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that if you have the, the, enough money and you have certain political views and you're liked by certain people, you can get away with all kinds of stuff. If you tried the things that they try, you'd be staring out through bars. It's, it's, in, it's in this prophecy that where, you know, justice has fallen in the streets. What can the righteous do? But again, the Lord is very aware when the rich and the famous and those who have money and influence and, and live these lavish lifestyles, when they're taking bribes, when they're influencing things, 
to shift and corrupt justice, the Lord says, I taste that. And we've already read. And he says, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to deal with it. Does wealth influence justice in our land? What do you think? Of course it does. So let's conclude. There are those in Israel who felt helpless as they experienced oppression and cried out. We saw that back in verse 7. Uh, and he looked, God looked for judgment, for behold, but behold, oppression, for righteousness, but he heard this cry those from those who were being oppressed. But God was tasting the bitter grapes of his worthless vine, and destruction was coming. So notice the therefore in verse 24. And what does God say he'll do? Again, as the fire devours the stubble, the flame consumes the chaff, so their root shall be rottenness, their bosom shall go up as dust, because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. By the way, you're going to continue to see all the way through Isaiah, that is the preferred name that God addresses himself with through Isaiah. I'm the Holy One of Israel. I'm the Holy One. But you've despised my words. You've cast away my law. The hills did shake in Uzziah's day. He'll go on to talk about that. All right. Uh, verse 25, And the hills did tremble, and their carcasses were torn in the midst of the streets, and all of his anger is turned. Uh, for all this, his anger is not turned away. I just want to mention verse 25 because you have a reference here to natural calamity. An earthquake. Did you know that in fact the hills did shake in Uzziah's day? Zechariah 14.5 will talk about it. God did send it a great earthquake. Isaiah was alive. He, he remembered that earthquake. But the Lord said it's coming. Again, God will use a great earthquake to judge the earth before Jesus returns. Revelation 16, 18. In verses 26 to 30, and we're not going to take time. We don't have time to read it. But again, God will also wave a banner to distant nations. You'll see in those verses the word hiss, and it means to whistle. Where it's as if the Lord sees the nations and he whistles and says, come deal with this problem. And they do. And armies assemble. The Bible says they'll come with speed and determination to do battle. It was speaking of Babylon in Isaiah's day, but all of the nations will come again against Israel in the future. And what will happen? Well, there's going to be a great battle, Armageddon. You know, we, we know that the Lord will destroy the armies of earth at that time, but something happens before he destroys the armies of earth. The armies of earth almost destroy Israel. Just a fraction of the population survive. The Lord delivers them, and the remnant that is left, they're the ones that throw up their hands, open their hearts, and they receive Messiah. The whole nation is saved. But just in the nick of time, 
What's so encouraging to us as we think about Isaiah is God was preparing Israel for judgment. And is that the final chapter? No, 70 years later, he brings them all back. And through Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel, you've got people who come back with a heart for God, and the Lord establishes Israel to set the stage for the Messiah when we get to the Gospels. When we get to the end of, end of the scriptures in the book of Revelation, what does God do there? He, he allows Israel to almost be wiped out. There are earthquakes, there's judgment on the whole earth. But what is God ultimately doing? That remnant that turned to Messiah and are saved? It's all part of God's plan. And they're going to be the ones who become, these rebellious servants now become witnessing sons. They become a fruitful vineyard, and they're the ones that will be the, doing the evangelizing during the millennial reign. So take heart. Things get ugly. Men and, and the evil continues, and yet God's in control. And his plan is right on course, but there are practical applications in here for us. We must continue to yield to our Lord. Follow his word. And as I mentioned last time, I, I love this imagery of the vineyard because we can go to John 15. You are the Lord's vineyard now. He is the vine, we are the branches. And if we'll just abide in him, he'll produce his fruit through us. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.